York City is a great big playground for kids. Take a journey through the five boroughs and you'll find plenty of kid-friendly activities, from the city's many museums to outdoor fairs. Good morning, I'm George Boraki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. In a moment, we'll learn about a bunch of cool things kids can do and see in the city. But stay tuned, because coming up, we'll hear from the author of a book that helps young learners gain a better understanding of the Big Apple's rich history. I just wanted to inspire kids to think about what was it like living here at the time and when you had the Stamp Act and you had what they perceived as the British government clamping down on their liberties. But first, we all know the go-to kid attractions in New York City, like the Bronx Zoo and the Museum of Natural History. But there are plenty of other places to visit. Here to tell us about neat places and activities for kids in New York City is Rory Halperin. She's the editor of Time Out New York Kids. Rory, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. On a scale of 1 to 10, how kid-friendly would you say New York City is? New York is definitely a 10 in terms of kid-friendliness. We actually just did a big story on why New York City is the best city in the world to raise kids. So we know there's definitely reasons why um, it's super kid-friendly here. What are among those reasons? Let's see. Well, we had a lot of them. Um, One was because our kids' menus are awesome. So, you know, we love chicken fingers and hamburgers and all that sort of stuff. But in the city, there's definitely a lot of places where they have really, really amazing foods for kids. So, for example, at Blue Smoke, kids can have baby back ribs on the kid menu at Landmark. There's, you know, chicken legs that are have topped with lemon and herb roasted. Um, there's sushi samba. They can have mini bento boxes and sushi. Um, so they're not just getting the normal mac and cheese and, and things like that. So really, really fun. Another one of the reasons was um, because we have so many free events. I mean, that's something that we at Time Out Kids really love about the city. There's so much, so much free stuff going on, especially now that the warm weather is upon us. Um, so kicking off in April, there's the Tribeca Family Festival street fair that takes place um, April 27th in conjunction with the Tribeca Film Festival. It's a whole full day of outdoor activities for families. There's free screenings. There's performances by Broadway um, actors and actresses. So really fun day. And then going into the summer, there's just so much free stuff. Summer Stage is a big one with performances all over the city um, and tons of free festivals and outdoor fairs. What about city parks? What city parks are best for kids? Well, city parks, they're also great. I mean, we love Central Park and Prospect Park, the big ones, obviously. You know, every week there's just tons of activities for kids, but then also just the ongoing things that they have there. So um, both Central Park and Prospect Park have the zoos, which are really great. Central Park has the Tish Children's Zoo. There's a separate area where kids can really um, get up close and personal with the animals and pet them. Um, both Prospect Park and um, Central Park have merry-go-rounds. And um, now that the weather's getting warmer, it's definitely carousel season. Prospect Park carousel open just about a week ago, um, and we know a lot of families have been checking that out. And there's also just the nice green spaces. So whether your family wants to have a picnic or in Prospect Park or in Central Park, take a hike. Um, there's so many things that really make you feel like you're not in the city when you're in those parks. Now, I understand you can actually have a sleepover at the Bronx Zoo. Is that correct? You can. This is pretty incredible and a pretty, um, you know, only in New York type experience. So um, venues around the city, like the Museum of Natural History, the Intrepid, the Bronx Zoo, they all have sleepovers. Um, there a couple times throughout the year. Um, you want to definitely plan ahead. I hear that they get sold out pretty fast. Um, but how amazing is that, right? You're waking up, you know, under the giant blue whale at the Museum of Natural History or getting to sleep on top of one of the ships at the Intrepid. So really, really exciting stuff. It definitely takes, takes the sleepover to the next level. <laughs> 
You mentioned the Museum of Natural History and the Intrepid, but what other museums are best for kids in New York City? There's so many. I mean, we did um, a huge story on the best exhibits for kids, and there's just so many museums. Um, Museum of Moving Image out in Queens is great. teaches kids all about um, video and TV and movies and things like that. Um, Children's Museum of Manhattan on the Upper West Side um, is great for a little bit younger ones, lots of interactive activities. We love MoMA for all of their great art exhibits. Um, A lot of times people may think, oh, that's, you know, more for adults, but there's so much stuff there to um, expose kids to. Um, Over in Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Children's Museum is wonderful. They have a great new exhibit right now called The Big Adventure, which we're really excited about. Um, The Brooklyn Museum um, nearby in Brooklyn is also another one where there's just wonderful um, exhibits and activities throughout the year for kids. Summer camp isn't necessarily the first thing that comes to mind for people when they think of an urban environment. Does New York City offer those kinds of opportunities for kids? Oh, yes. Summer camp in New York City is is huge. It's absolutely huge. So, of course, there's sleepaway programs, and then there's programs that we consider commuter camps where kids may take a bus about 45 minutes to Westchester or Long Island for camps, but there's so many, so many camps um, in New York City. There's one called Oasis that takes place um, in Central Park and then other venues around the city where the kids are really getting a, a suburban camp experience. So they're outside in the park all day. They're exploring, playing sports, taking field trips. Um, so we have those types of camps, which are general interest, um, but then there's also so many specialty camps in the city, which is really incredible. So if your kid's interested in origami, um, there's an origami program over in Brooklyn. There's programs where they can learn how to build robots. There's tons of arts and dance and music programs, which is really exciting. Kids get to, you know, put on a show at the end of the two-week session, um, even visit some Broadway theaters, sports camps. Some of our favorites like Chelsea Piers and Asphalt Greens have tons and tons of camp programs. How much fun is this for you, Rory, that this is your world, exploring all of these kid-friendly places in New York City and writing about them? Oh, it's great. We have an absolute um, blast, all the editors at Time Out Kids, checking out all the events and finding out about new information, about what's going on. It's so, so exciting. Rory, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Rory Halperin is the editor of Time Out New York Kids. They're online at timeout.com slash New York Kids. Now we turn our attention to a music class designed specifically for New York City kids where they sing about things like riding the subway and visiting Coney Island. The classes are at City Stomp in Brooklyn. Are you ready? My name is Kevin McCallum, and I'm the founder and director of City Stop. I was an early childhood music teacher for about five years, and I felt like a lot of the music programs in New York City didn't really appeal to New York City kids. And so I really wanted to develop a music program that first taught kids music skills, but through songs about things that they would understand, like the subway like taxis, like Coney Island, but also introduce the kids to all of the cultures that live around them in the city all the time. So we do a lot of Latin American music, a lot of Caribbean music, a lot of Jewish music and Irish music and African music, things that they might hear in the park or coming from a car but wouldn't necessarily see it as music if they haven't experienced it in that way. So this is the Afro-Cuban All-Stars. The kids in the classes are, they range from anywhere from six months old 
to four years old, and then we do a drum circle class where kids learn African and Latin drumming, and the ages of those classes are from four years old to seven years old. Oh, all right. Will you put them on your lap? We're going to take a bike ride through the city. We're going to pedal with our hands, a little bounce. Riding through the city on a two-wheel bike. Pushing on the pedals, I go anywhere I like. Gotta pedal, and pedal, and go, go, go. Whoops! Here comes a windy road. The concept of this program is to teach the kids through the grown-ups that they're with. And so the grown-ups begin to experience how to be musical with their children. It's okay, Kate. We're going to do this very gently for Kate because she really doesn't like this. Sometimes the kids get upset in the classes. I mean, it, you know, the kids are very young, and so you sort of never know what you're going to run into on any given day. But there's so many different things going on during the classroom. I can usually, even a kid who's having a bad day, I can usually rope them into the class. So if you want to do the full ride, you're going to want to pull off of the wall just a little bit. Because when the taxi goes fast, you roll back like this. And then stop. You roll back forward. And whoa! What I love to hear stories of is my students are walking down the street with their mom or their dad and they see a garbage truck and they start singing my song, The Garbage Truck Blues. You know, it just sort of comes out of them because it relates to the things that they see as they're walking down the street. My name is Carly Jacobs. I've been coming to City Stomp for two sessions now. My son is Linus. Because of City Stomp, he's definitely more interested in taxis. Um, I mean, the kid can't even speak English, but he can say some Swahili words because they're in the songs that Kevin plays. My name is Deidre Rodman Struck, and I've been coming to City Stomp for about three and a half years now. I grew up in Idaho, and now I'm raising my two girls in New York City, so I think it's really very cool for them to have music that's New York City-centric, because, you know, it's when I was growing up, I was probably, I don't know what I was singing about, potatoes maybe, but they get to sing about the taxi, they get to sing about the subway, and my four-year-old sings the songs all the time. She sings the Coney Island song. What I always say is that what I love about this, it hits on every part of me. I grew up in New York City. I love New York City. I grew up with music around me all the time. And I love teaching. And so just being able to experience my music and share my music and being able to teach, it's a great job. You can learn more about City Stomp at citystompmusic.com. You're tuned to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. 
I'm George Borarki. No doubt, present-day New York City is a pretty neat place to be a kid. But exploring the city's past can be just as much fun for a child. Enter Richard Panchik. Richard's penned a book that aims to give kids a better understanding of the city's rich history. It's called New York City History for Kids, From New Amsterdam to the Big Apple. Richard's with us now in the studio. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. How deep does your interest in New York City history run? It runs very deep. Um, Born in Queens and of course, anybody from the outer boroughs always referred to Manhattan as the city, but we all knew that we we're from New York City. You're a fifth-generation New York City resident, right? That's right. My family arrived in 1866 from Germany, and my great-great-grandfather uh, founded a pickle factory and made horseradish, pickles, and you know all kinds of pickled products. Can I assume on the Lower East Side? Am I right there? Actually, this was... Um, he started out on the Lower East Side, but after 1904, when the uh, General Slocum tragedy occurred and most of the people who perished were Germans, fire. right? Um, after that point, a lot of the German Americans moved up to what is uh, known as Yorkville, and he was one of those who um, lived in Yorkville and had his pickle factory up on 78th Street. What's the most surprising thing you found out about your own family as it pertains to New York City? I guess uh, I hadn't known that my great-great-uncle had been the deputy sheriff of New York. Which really? Which is kind of cool. When was that? That was from 1895 to 1897. What age group are you targeting with this book? I'm targeting the ages of roughly 9 to 16, but a lot of the time people read my books that are supposedly for kids and say this is really for adults too. And That's it's what true. I said when I read it. I was learning as I was reading your book. I think a good nonfiction children's book for that age group really has to be uh, addressed to, number one, to smart kids, not dumbed down, but, you know, really talk to them like they're mature and make the book so that adults will want to pick it up. The same applies to, I wrote a book on World War II, but I don't want that to be just for kids. It has to be for the grandparents and the great-grandparents who want to pick it up. And if you want to sell books, then who is buying the book? Not the kid, usually. It's the parents and the grandparents. A lot of the history in this book was new to me, including Keefe's War. I had never heard of it before. Keefe's War, you know, I guess it's one of those it's one of those things that, you know, everyone knows who Peter Stuyvesant is, I would think. And uh, Keefe was actually the, the governor who preceded Stuyvesant, and Keefe's ultimate failure as a governor was the reason Stuyvesant arrived in, in New Amsterdam. And it's uh, so long ago, there's very little actual documentation that remains. But we do have some accounts and eyewitness descriptions. And from all, by all accounts that exist, Keefe was just really interested in starting a war and, and really didn't like the Native Americans and wanted to provoke them. And he was looking for an excuse to go to war. And he found one when uh, a Dutchman um, was killed by uh, one of the Native Americans, and he found an excuse to massacre a, a whole group of them across the river in uh, New Jersey one night in the middle of the night. And it was said that you could hear the screams and the cries of the these uh, Native Americans as they were murdered in their sleep. And though the governor had actually said, allegedly said, not to harm the women and children, everyone was killed. And those who escaped were found and killed the next day. 
You talk a lot about New York City's early inhabitants in your book, including the Native Americans and the first Europeans to arrive here. How important do you think it is for kids to know who came before us? What I try to impart to kids and adults is that there's 400 years plus of of history, you know, European history, and then going back before that, Native American history. And if you, you know, I think it's important for people to kind of look at New York when they're walking down the street, wipe out the image of what's in front of you, and try to picture this lush, forested land that's that's rocky, hilly, swampy, that has you know hundreds of varieties of animals and trees, and a, and a few uh, Native American settlements. You know, picture that, and then jump ahead in time and picture a small kind of meager looking village at the tip of Manhattan Island and you know with maybe 30 houses which was how it was back in the 1620s and you know you can go through time and every few years the city changes and it's still changing and and that's the thing I think is fascinating to to stand in a place and say what was this like 100 years ago 150 years ago 200 years ago because it was different each of those times you write about the many flour mills that were once here in New York City. Are there any remnants of these flour mills anywhere? I don't believe there are. Um, so much of New York's old colonial history was obliterated, and in part due to the great fire of, well, there was a fire in 1776, and then another fire in 1835. And the 1835 fire basically destroyed any of the last remaining you know, 17th century evidence. Now, what you could find, perhaps, your best bet for finding that kind of thing is uh, in, in landfill, which was used to increase the size of lower Manhattan, including, you know, where South Street Seaport is, is all on landfill. So that's where, when they, when they excavate buildings there, actually they have found pieces of ships in, you know, those areas by the water. And if, if there were any evidence, it would be probably there. Now's a good time to talk about the 21 activities, or at least some of them, the 21 activities that you include in the book for kids. One of them is an archaeological dig in your own backyard. That's right. Now, I have to, I have to admit that I, my uh, degree is in anthropology, and I majored in you know, archaeology was what I studied in college, and I wrote a book on archaeology for kids. So archaeology is a topic that's near and dear to my heart, but I do believe, and my approach to history is really get it get hands on history can be boring in the in if it's presented the right way it can be fascinating and i know when when you look at a title of a book and you see the words history and kids you may not think they go together but i think what i try to do is tell kids and parents that if you want to learn about something don't be afraid to get your hands dirty literally <laughs> literally dirty because you have if you you know if you just rely on books and even just rely on my book i encourage people and that's why that activity i think is good and you may not find anything in your backyard it depends you know you, you may find some old pieces of glass or or some maybe you will find something but the idea is that there is a lot of evidence of what the past was like not just in the ground but when i write a book on history i rely on some original source material. At home, I have a copy of the New York Times from 1866, which I, you know, just look through and see what inspires me, what's interesting there that I could pull out and put in the book. 
You also have an activity in the book encouraging kids to erect their own liberty pole. What do you hope they learn from that? Well, I think one of the things that maybe you don't think about when you think of New York City is the Revolutionary War. New York City has a terrific, fascinating history, uh, Revolutionary War history. You know, the people were very opposed to the British occupation, and, and the British were here for many years. They occupied New York, and it was a tough time for anybody who was still a patriot, who was still in New York City. So, you know, with that activity, I just wanted to inspire kids to think about what was it like living here at the time and when you had the Stamp Act and you had all of these, um, what they perceived as the British government, clamping down on their liberties. I think that a lot of kids will probably be very happy and tickled to read about the pirates who once walked the streets of New York City. Kids love pirates, including probably the most famous of them all, Captain William Kidd. And it's a fascinating story, too. And, and, and I tell kids this when I talk to kids about New York City history. I tell them the story of Captain Kidd because he was a respectable merchant. He was a, he was a sea captain and a merchant, and he had a beautiful house down on the waterfront. He had a family, and he was so well-respected that the government came to him when they, they had a real problem back then in the late 17th century with pirates. And New York City was... You know, it was a port, and there were there were um, problems with ships being taken over by pirates, and so the governor decided to um, commission Captain Kidd to go and find pirate, you know, capture pirates, and he agreed. And when he went, and they didn't hear from him for a month or two, they started to get worried. And then it turned out that he had become himself a pirate, and had taken a tremendous amount of treasure from a uh, a ship called the Kadam Merchant. And this is the famous treasure of which some of of it is claimed to be buried here uh, in New York on Long Island and other places. And eventually he was uh, hanged for his crimes. How much are New York City school kids taught about the city's history in the classroom today? Do you know? Is is it a requirement? There is, I think, more now than when I was a kid. Uh, I think uh, New York State and New York City history... My daughter knew something about, I was surprised, she knew about New York City. And and, and I spoke to about 500 school kids on Long Island um, a couple of weeks ago, and they knew some of the stuff because they were now learning it, you know, Peter Stuyvesant and, and uh, some of the history of New York City. So it is now part of curriculum, um, which is good, but what I don't want is for kids to forget it. And when I was talking to the... Uh, Fourth grade kids, they knew who Peter Stuyvesant was. And then when I got to the sixth grade kids, they had for, really forgotten. Nobody raised their hand. So I think part of making history stick with you is really taking it out of the realm of just boring history. And what I try to do is to say history is there all around you. One example that I like to refer to is City Hall Park. I find this this is a fascinating place. I would recommend everybody to go there because You've got 400 years of history packed into this park, and you know you have you have British barracks there from the 18th century. You had poorhouses there on that site. You have the Tweed Courthouse. You have City Hall. You there used to be a post office, believe it or not, at the South Tip, which was a monstrosity that people hated. And eventually, I think in in the 1930s, it was demolished. Archaeologists working in the park 
maybe 10, 15 years ago, discovered over 200,000 artifacts in that space. Hmm. And then you have, just to the north, you have the African uh, American burial ground. And then you have, on either side, you have you have the Woolworth building and you have some early skyscrapers on, on the east side, too. So it's really, it's all this history packed into this park. And you can just imagine, over the years, the different, you know, and, and you also have the first subway was uh, envisioned here, right there on Broadway, right in that spot. So it's kind of a hotbed of, I'd say, take your kids there and just, you know, there are there are historical markers and statues and, like you said, Liberty Pole. And it's fascinating just to be there. And, and because it's a park, you know, you're really seeing it as it was for a while, for 100 plus 200 years. I love the activity in your book where you instruct kids to create their own walking tour of their own neighborhood. I'm a big fan of walking tours, and I think knowing and, and you know uh, people people will buy my book who are not in New York. They might buy it, and they may live in Nebraska. The idea is the same though. It's a wonderful way to get involved with your own history, your own street's history, your own neighborhood's history. And you know we think about it we we all go home, we walk to school, we go to the store. We pass by buildings, we cross streets. We have we don't really think about it, but all of these things have a history. And maybe the buildings are a hundred years old, or maybe they're more or less. But what was there before? And I think a lot of people would find it fascinating in their own neighborhoods to discover the history. You know, being from Elmhurst in Queens, one of the things that I was fascinated with was the fact that you know we call New York the Big Apple, and that was really a modern construction from the 20th century. But in fact, New York City was the Big Apple because one of the country's best-known apples ever was grown right there in Queens, the Newtown Pippin. And it was George Washington's favorite apple, and it was Thomas Jefferson's favorite apple. Benjamin Franklin liked it so much, he sent some of them over to England, and they grew their own. And so it's like these things you could uncover, and that's just in one place in Queens. Every neighborhood has a story, has something some famous person lived there. Some factory was there. Some historical event. You know, Washington had headquarters here. The, the British had headquarters there. There's always something. And, and to find it out, you almost feel like a pioneer, like, a, like an archaeologist of sorts by digging this stuff up. All right, Richard, anything else that you would want to add that I didn't ask you? Well, I would say that one of the interesting places, you know, we want to talk about places where kids could, could enjoy, certainly... The Tenement Museum, I think, is a, is a fascinating place because, to me, it's a counterintuitive idea. And if you think about this, all of our ancestors, those of us who came to New York City, most of us, most of our ancestors lived in tenements mm -hmm. unless we were wealthy. And for the most part, their lives were spent trying to get out of the tenements, trying to, you know, their children to, to move up, to be upwardly mobile and, and kind of have a house of their own and not live in these dirty and dark and, and cramped places. So I think New Yorkers in general try to move away from that. And, you know, what happens is it's not a pretty chapter in New York City history, but it's an important one to remember. So I think when the founders of the Tenement Museum, you know, decided that, you know, let's preserve this building, that's pretty much intact. And, and you know, there aren't that many left. That's down on Orchard Street, right? Right. There weren't that many left that were pretty much the same way as they used to be and show, you know, have interpretive tours. I think that's fascinating because 
you know, you see the Empire State Building, you see the Statue of Liberty, but to see this, this is the reality for the majority of kids in New York City. You know, my um, my family had, um, my great-great-aunt was seven years old, and her father sent her downtown for corks by herself, um, you know, age of seven, navigating through the streets with these horse carts and all this stuff. And ma- I'm trying to imagine that, and I can barely imagine it, but the reality for most of the kids in New York City was that life wasn't that great. So I think it's great that the uh, Tenement Museum exists to preserve and show, hey, kids, this is what, you know, you would have been working, you would have had to live in this cramped environment. And and ironically, a lot of the tenements, especially uptown, have now been converted to, you know, rather nice apartments and are rather expensive to live in. Does the book include recommendations on where to go for kids? Yes, the book does and um, in the back. And there, you know, there, obviously, there, I could go on and on about places to go. And it depends on your taste. And But I, again, I recommend the Morris Jumel Mansion as one of them because it's a fascinating look at 18th century New York, which is very, very rare to find anything still left. And again, because its location up north, it was preserved. It wasn't demolished. It wasn't burned, which makes it an, an, an historic Richmond town in Staten Island, you know, other places like that. I think the Bounhouse is closed currently, but it's another great place, you know, historic site, too. The book is New York City History for Kids. Richard, do you have a website for people to check out as well? Yes, it's uh, www.panchik.com. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. Richard Panchik is the author of New York City History for Kids, From New Amsterdam to the Big Apple. You can learn more at panchik.com. That's P-A-N-C-H-Y-K dot com. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. Remember, you can listen to past editions of Cityscape at WFUV.org slash Cityscape. If you're a fan of the show, you should like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for updates, previews, and New York City tidbits. We're listed on both as WFUV Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to senior producer Morlane Chin and producer Julie Clark. Have a great weekend.